So in his upper room discourse, just hours before going to the cross, Jesus spoke about peace. He spoke very personally. He spoke very passionately. And Jesus, in that upper room, he made a peace distinction. So this is John 14, verse 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's a statement. So in his final moments, Jesus had peace on his mind. He had your peace, my peace, our peace on his mind. But I want you to notice this, that Jesus, as he speaks this word, he makes a peace distinction. He makes a distinction about the distribution of peace, meaning not all peace is the same. At least according to Jesus, there are two kinds of peace. One kind of peace that comes from the world. And there's another kind of peace, his peace, that comes from him. And Jesus is pretty clear here, he's abundantly clear here, that Jesus-style peace is different than the peace of the world. Which is why he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. So not all peace is perfect peace. Were you aware that there's more than one kind of peace? So there's a 19th century physician and poet, Oliver Wendell Holmes. He made this distinction. This may sound like Yoda a little bit, but hang with me. He says, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. But for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, for that I would give you anything I have. Let me read that again. For the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. It's worthless. But for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, for that I would give you anything I have. Maybe for visual learners, this may help. Okay? So he says, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, it's just simplistic. It's simple-mindedness. Complexity. But there is a simplicity that makes its way through the complex. The simplicity on the other side of complexity, that's priceless. I'd give you anything I have for that. Okay? So if you overlay this little diagram on the conversation of peace, I would say this. There's simplistic peace and there's elegant peace. I would say there's a peace that the world gives and there's heavenly peace. There's Jesus-style peace. There's two kinds of peace. There's false peace and true peace, worldly peace and kingdom peace. And I know in my own life, I, I, I settle far too easily for this kind of peace, which actually isn't peace at all. Tonight, we're going to continue in our summer study of the fruit of the Spirit, this beautiful list that the Apostle Paul gives in Galatians chapter 5, this list that really gives, in some sense, Jesus' character, 
grown by the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. So we've been at this for a few weeks now, actually five weeks now, but we're three weeks into the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Tonight, having talked about love, having talked about joy, tonight we're going to talk about peace. The fruit of the Spirit that is peace. The fruit of the Spirit that is peace that I would say is Jesus' peace. It's a peace that is not simplistic. It is simple. It is elegant. It is beautiful. But it's not simplistic. Overly simplistic peace doesn't last. Overly simplistic peace doesn't work. It's actually a peace shortcut. It's an end around to lasting peace. Let me spell this out a bit more. So the peace that the world has to offer us. I made a list. This isn't exhaustive. But the world offers us peace through wealth, peace through the accumulation of money, peace through political parties, peace by having locked doors and security systems, peace through guns, peace through avoidance, peace through the path of least resistance, peace through isolation, peace through early retirement, peace through amusement and binging, peace through insurance plans. Sound familiar? And, and that's not to say that these things are all evil and wrong in of themselves. But they don't deliver what they promise. Because in many forms, these are peace on the near side of complexity. Most of us, when we hear about peace, we think about the end of conflict or the end of a struggle. We envision peace as the end of fighting or like no more financial strain, no more worries, no more difficulty, no more hard conversations. Oftentimes, peace is equated as a ceasefire the end of war. When you read the Bible and you look at Jesus' life, here's what you discover, is that peace is not an absence of struggle. That peace is a person to align with his ways. Can I say it again? Peace is not an absence of struggle. Peace is a person to align with his ways. And actually, sometimes the way to peace is through the struggle. It's peace in the struggle. Sometimes to align with the Prince of Peace, the person of peace, you actually have to pass through complexity. It takes some work, and I don't like that. I'd rather have the ease. I'd rather just run away. I'd rather just avoid. I'd rather just lock my doors. I'd rather just put so-and-so in a category and stay away from them. I'd rather just not have to deal with it, but that's not necessarily peace. Jesus has something better. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's, let, let's talk about this thing called peace. In the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. I think I got a slide for this. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is shalom. Anyone ever heard of shalom before? So, 
The word shalom doesn't show up in the New Testament, but I, because it's, it's a Hebrew word, it's a Hebrew idea. It's all throughout the Old Testament. But I would say that this idea of shalom actually bleeds into the New Testament Jesus idea, early church idea of peace. And when that word arene shows up in the New Testament, it is very much informed by this Old Testament idea of shalom. So let me talk a little bit about shalom. Talk a little bit about this piece. Uh, one little shout out here, if you're, again, a more of a visual learner, the Bible Project has an incredible video about shalom and peace. I would, I would just play it for you. Um, I'm not going to take the time. It's like three and a half, four minutes. If you're curious to know more about shalom, watch their video. It does a great job just kind of walking through the idea of shalom. I'm taking some of my stuff from the video itself. So credit where credit is due. So in the Bible... Shalom, a stone that is whole and without cracks is said to have shalom. This whole, pure stone, the stone is said to have shalom. A wall that has no gaps or no missing pieces in the wall is said to have shalom. When a person looks out among their tents and they say there's no flocks missing, no sheep missing, it's said to have their tents are in shalom. So shalom speaks about completeness amidst complexity. So like in a wall, there's many different pieces, and as they fit together without gaps, like, ah, that's shalom. When again, when a person's household or tent or their livestock is where it should be, that's shalom. It's broader than we tend to think of in terms of peace. When life's various pieces and parts are in alignment and in place, that's shalom. And then when they're out of place, out of whack, out of alignment, the idea of shalom, to, to make shalom or to do shalom, is to put them back in place to put them back into alignment. So uh, this word is used when Solomon finished the temple construction of the temple, it says that he shalomed the temple. The temple was put together and finished and built. If you wrong someone financially and you then pay restitution to cover the damages, that's being showing shalom, doing shalom to your neighbor. If you have a broken relationship with someone and you reconcile that relationship, Proverbs says that's to actually bring shalom of doing the work of reconciliation. That's shalom work. So again, to bring shalom is to make something complete, to restore, is to take something that is broken and fix it and restore it to make it whole. Again, it's completeness amidst complexity philosopher Cornelius Plantinga, he puts it this way, here's shalom. It's just the way it's supposed to be. It's when things are the way they're supposed to be. It's this vision of Eden, that we all live east of Eden now, but there's a sense and a longing that we know what this thing was supposed to be, and we have this ache and desire for it to be made right. Good humanity living in peace with a blessed creation and a very good God. It's the sense of alignment with God and the kind of the fundamental grain of the universe in alignment. 
you and I love shalom. Probably the most vivid lesson of shalom that I've learned in the past few years has to do with my body. So I'm definitely not super old. Whenever I say I'm old, older people in our church are like, you're not old. So I'm, I'm effectively now middle-aged. I'll be turning 45 in August. But here's what I've learned now in my 40s is that my body doesn't respond like it did when I was in my 20s. You're like, preach it! Amen! And I hear it just keeps going that way. You just wait. <laughs> so now I am officially, I can hurt myself when I sneeze years old. I've done that. Like, how did you hurt yourself? Um, I sneezed and like I did something. That's how old I am now. But a few years ago, I had one of these episodes, and it was probably some combination of playing City League basketball, combined with sleeping funny on my pillow, combined with being hunched over a computer, typing during the day. But I woke up one morning with just an absolute piercing pain in my back. Like it felt like someone was stabbing me with a knife right below my shoulder blade. And, and then it spread. And so it started with the sharp pain, this like stabbing in my back, which then made it really increasingly hard for me to breathe. So then now my breathing is impaired. And then that started creating back spasms in my lower back. Nothing like good old back spasms. And then eventually, it would be where I would just move a certain way. Like, I would like, be talking to a friend or a coworker or my wife. And as I would talk, all of a sudden, I would like spasm, like, Aah! and I couldn't even finish my sentence. So it began to impact my speech. Which then, you're like, amen. Which then progressed to like this shooting sensation of pain down my arm. And that wasn't a heart attack. But I would say it was not shalom. And it revealed to me just how interrelated and interconnected like my body is. So like what does shalom look like for me in that moment? What is peace? So here's the thing. Shalom, it was not just to get to sleep again, though I really wanted to sleep again. And it was not just to get the pain stopped from shooting down my arm, though I wanted that to stop. And it wasn't just about stopping my back spasms. And it wasn't just about getting the knife out of the back or to regain breathing, though I wanted all of that and more. So peace, shalom, involved realignment. Complexity. So I went to the chiropractor. He said I had a tipped rib. I didn't know you could tip a rib. And so he tried to put it back in place, but there was so much swelling, he couldn't get any movement. But after icing it for a little while, he was able to get my tipped rib back in place. And guess what? After that got back in place, the knife was no longer in my back. I could breathe again. The shooting pain down my arm stopped shooting. I could speak normally, and I could sleep. The rest of the aches and the pains went away. So like, you, you see what I'm going after here. The, the complexity and the inner workings of our body that we take for granted so often is a system of shalom. And something out of alignment, something out of whack, something out of place can then lead to all these other things firing off in crazy painful 
ways. Simplistic peace, and I'm going to keep belaboring this, simplistic peace would be give me a drug to mask the pain of my arm hurting. Ease the breathing, reduce the symptoms, but it would be a false peace. That wouldn't be shalom. Shalom required movement into the complexity of what was happening in my body all the way through the complexity to the other side where there was alignment and my body, like, it's really simple how my body works. But it's not simplistic. And there's a peace when it's all whole. So to talk about the peace that Jesus gives, or the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Many of us have settled for this fake, simplistic version of peace. When Jesus says peace, he actually has a lot wrapped up into the complexity of all that. Can I offer you three pieces of complexity in shalom? Of course, you don't mind. (laughs) The first piece of complexity of shalom is that there's peace with God. I would say that's the big E on the eye chart. It's also an area in the Bible where there is conflict, warfare kind of language. And we know from Genesis that the world was created as good, 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 and very good. It's the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's where we discover the universe as it ought to be. But then in Genesis 3, we find that sin enters the story And human rebellion takes place against God's word and against God's way. And humanity unleashed this thing called sin. And humanity questioned God. And we chose what we thought was better our own way. And that's where the fracturing of the world began. In sin. In self-love. In rebellion against a holy God. A loving God that produced active war between humanity and God himself. This may be elementary stuff to some of you, but this stuff is essential to understanding peace. The result of human sin is the curse. The result of human sin is separation and death. The result was humanity's removal from God's presence in the garden. And you can't effectively experience full peace without dealing with sin. And the human God fracture has misaligned the universe in so many forms and fashions. Houston, we have a problem. Shalom has been disrupted because we thought we knew better. You and I, we were made for loving relationship with God. At this, we, we say this often at reality. At the center of the universe is a loving relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has always existed. We were made to experience the heartbeat of that loving relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our sin, we experience the fracture of that. And this is maybe a crude analogy, really crude analogy. But our enmity with God, our sin against God is the tipped rib of the universe. It sparks all these other problems in nations, in people groups, in families, in yourself, in creation. Sin has just fractured shalom. 
But due to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has done something in Jesus. God has initiated peace toward you. Other words of talking about Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that offer? There is an offer of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Ephesians 2, verse 12. Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace, the peace that we have failed to achieve. He is our, he himself is our peace. Colossians 1.20, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The cross, the blood of the cross has made peace. And the Bible uses lots of different language to describe this to describe our fractured condition. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. The Bible says that we were far off, that we were alienated. Ephesians says we were strangers. We had enmity with God. But this big but of the gospel, Jesus is our peace. He has made peace by the blood of his cross and the war is over and the familial relationship of love has been renewed to all who believe in Jesus and receive from him. His work by faith. It's a huge dimension of peace. Peace with God. And I would say that any conversation about full, complex peace that ignores the call to wade into the complexity of our sin problem will end up with a simplistic peace that fails to address our soul's deepest and most basic need. Peace passes through complexity to align with Jesus and his ways. So the invitation to confess our sin, the invitation to be a people of repentance, is an invitation to taste again and again and again and again the peace that we have through Jesus. It doesn't happen by ignoring it or pushing it aside or denying it or saying, it's not my problem, but it actually it comes by owning it and speaking the truth to God. I gotta hurry up. But that's not all. There's so much more going on in the complexity of peace. It's that, that's a big piece of it. But some people talking to some Christians would say, that's it, that's the peace. Jesus comes and he forgives your sin, and then you go to heaven when you die, and that's it. And that's true. That's grace. But there's more to peace than just peace with God. It also involves peace with others. Come on now. Peace with others is part of shalom. It's where I left off in Ephesians 2. I already read part of it. For he himself is our peace. Here's the rest of the verse. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God, Jew and Gentile, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So often peace in the Christian conversation can focus on this vertical dimension of me and God, God and humanity, and praise God that is true. Sins are forgiven. We have access to God. Our eternal state is secure. But again, shalom requires getting that also worked out on the horizontal plane with other people too. Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility that would keep us separate, that would make us look at those people and say, not them, I hate them. And that was happening in the early church along the Jew-Gentile divide. And it still happens today. And the gospel of peace is that God has now made one new humanity, not Jew-Gentile, one new humanity through Jesus. And he's killed the hostility between us. That's why he says he is our peace. He is the means by which we experience relationship with other people that ordinarily we wouldn't want to. This is why Jesus preached, blessed are the peacemakers. Shalom involves peacemaking. Not just hit the ejection button and get me out of here. Shalom involves peacemaking. This is why Jesus said that the great commandment of loving God with all that you are is also tied to loving your neighbor as yourself. Shalom involves loving neighbors. And then we all say, just like they did in the scriptures, well then who's my neighbor? In an attempt to get out of having to love somebody. And then Jesus talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is why in Jeremiah 29, when God gives instructions to the the Hebrew people in, in Babylonian exile, he tells them, don't withdraw, don't condemn, but here's how I want you to live as exiles. I want you to seek the peace of the city. That's the shalom, the same word. To seek the shalom of the city. Here's his command to the exiles. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, get married, have children to multiply. He says, seek the welfare, seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its peace, in the city's peace, in their welfare, in their peace, you will find your peace. You're not going to find your peace in running away and building your own alternative peace, but actually seek to be a part of the peace of the city that you live in. And as your city flourishes and finds its peace, that's where you find peace too. This shalom thing is complex, and it's beautiful. God's call to his people has always been to lead the way in this. And we seemingly always want to punt and run away. 
So peace, wholeness, restoration, completion of complexity means that we will pay attention to human relationships and seek shalom with our family, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our enemies. Shalom requires seeking every relationship we have to be in alignment with Jesus and his ways. And I fail at that every day. And I'm so thankful that the blood of the cross is spoken over me that leads me to keep going again and again so that no relationship is out of bounds. Avoidance isn't shalom. Isolation isn't shalom. Peace that passes understanding passes through complexity to align with Jesus and his ways. I'm almost done, but there's more. Yes, it's peace with God. Yes, it's peace with others. But also the Bible talks about this. There's an element of peace that is peace within. Not just peace out there or peace after you die, but peace that is meant to happen in here and in here now. Here's the funky thing. Sometimes the most anxious people I know are Christians. Christians. Followers of Jesus, who know the Prince of Peace, who have been, had peace made with God. And we're some of the most anxious people I know. I'm one of the most anxious people I know. So many verses come to mind. Jesus' words in John 14, we started there at the beginning of the sermon. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is why Paul commands in Philippians 4, verse 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like the offer of peace from God is that there's a different way to live. There's actually a non-anxious way to live where God's peace guards your heart and your mind. And your inner world comes under the rule and reign of Jesus. Your inner world, your emotional world, realigns to him and his ways. Hopefully you're beginning to see, like, man, there's a lot involved in this. The full dimensionality of peace comes together and you begin to see the complexity of the pieces. The peace that God is speaking of here is multifaceted, multidimensional, and interconnected. Peace with God, peace with others, peace within. And then to make it even more complex, it is both a past event and an ongoing process. The root of our peace was founded 2,000 years ago in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So it is based on a past fact that has already been accomplished through the work of Jesus. It is rooted in the risen Christ, but the life of living and growing in peace, it continues every day. It is a present work too. It's a future work that God is doing. It is God's work and God's gift, and it involves your participation in the process. This is the complexity of peace. And yet, it is also so simple and so elegant. 
The next slide. Isaiah 9, 5, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, literally the Prince of Shalom. At his birth, the angels announced peace on earth. To calm the storm, all Jesus had to say, he got up and said, peace, be still. Whenever Jesus shows up to his anxious disciples, this was on his lips, peace to you. Jesus is our peace. He made peace by the blood of his cross. He offers his peace to us. His peace does surpass understanding. And his call is for peacemaking. It is simple, but it's not simplistic. Peace calls us into the complexity of it all with him to watch him work in a way that no one else can. Jesus is the rightful ruler of the universe. There's a famous quote, maybe you've heard this one before, that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. All right? Not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord, he's like, that's mine, that's mine. He looks at you and says, mine. He looks into your heart and says, mine. He looks into your mind and says, mine. Like every square inch, he claims rightful rule and reign as the ruling king of the universe. And so I would say his offer of peace, as the prince of peace, as the prince of shalom, he is committed to reclaiming his territory. He's committed to reclaiming every square inch of his world in peace. The peace is about a person, not a program, and it's the process of aligning the full dimension of your life with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So when Paul says, here's the fruit of the Spirit, I'll give you a simple list. Love and joy and peace. It is a very simple idea that requires stepping into the complexity of it all with Jesus. The gardener of your soul wants to cultivate the fullness of peace. But here's what the Bible tells us. To, to like be a person of peace, to experience that kind of peace, it will probably lead you into harder things, not easier things. It will probably lead you into messier things, not neat and tidy things it actually may lead you into conflict, not simplistic peace, not avoidance, but engagement with God, with yourself, with others. So here are the, here are the questions that I would invite you to consider tonight, but maybe even this week. Where in the name of peace do you need to press in? What's the complexity that the Holy Spirit maybe would invite you into? Or if you need some more specific questions, are there areas of unconfessed sin that need alignment to Jesus? Are there elephants in, your, in the room, in the room of your life, in the room of your family? that need to be named? Are there relationships that need alignment to Jesus? 
Are there people groups that you have labeled and sought isolation from? Are there places of anxiety that need alignment to Jesus? Are there places that you have been numbing rather than dealing with Jesus? Are there places of conflict you're avoiding? Are there places where you're settling for simplistic answers? Are there problems in our world that you're content to avoid? Are there places you're looking for peace that can't deliver? That's a lot of questions. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to invite us into for in those places. He promises his peace. Through the complexity of it all, he promises his peace. Let's pray. Ah, Jesus, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace, the one who promises peace on earth, goodwill toward humanity. We need you. So God, we ask for wisdom to see maybe where there have been simplistic answers that we thought was peace, but it actually wasn't really peace. It was maybe a version of peace that the world tries to give us. And we would ask, Holy Spirit, presence of God, power of God, would you come? Would you give us courage to face ourselves in your love, to face others in your love, to face this world, to face you honestly? God, we want peace. We need peace. You have done all that is necessary for our peace. But God, there's a lot of rebuilding that has to happen in this world and in me. So Lord, we just pray the peace of Jesus over our church the peace of Jesus to face the hard stuff. The peace of Jesus to wrestle through what's going on on the inside and not just block it out or get busy. Peace that is your peace. And God, we pray for our world, our city, our church community of webs of relationships. Prince of Peace, would you come and restore and heal, set the broken bones, set the captives free, bring freedom from just crippling anxiety. May we know you more. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our peace. Amen.